Hey friends, welcome to another edition of the Seed Time Living Podcast. I'm your host, Bob Lodick, and I'm super excited to be chatting with you today. And I want to talk just a little bit about an interview I did about 10 years ago, actually, with a millionaire who actually was one of my guitar teachers. He was a retired high school teacher who just happened to do a really good job saving and investing, you know, so he had a very modest salary, but he ended up retiring at a pretty early age with a really nice nest egg. And uh, in his free time, he taught guitar lessons. And so he was teaching me jazz guitar at the time. And we began talking about money a little bit and some of the lessons. And I, I quickly realized this guy knows some stuff and I should spend some time asking him some questions. And so we kind of set up a little bit of a formalized meeting and we invited another friend of ours and he just shared everything that he had learned about how he built his wealth. I was a sponge and I just wanted to learn and just hear how he had done it. And so in this episode, I just want to kind of look at some of those things that he chatted about and just kind of discuss what I learned and hopefully it'll provide some value to you as well because it did for me. So I remember driving over to his house and being a little bit nervous for this meeting because I had started Christian PF, kind of my first personal finance blog at that time, but I really had just gotten started. And so I was just kind of learning about personal finance, you know, as I was writing about it and moving forward. And I, I just honestly thought he was going to kind of dump some really high level, you know, financial stuff that would be over my head and I wouldn't really be able to understand. And it would just kind of be a waste of my time. And I also didn't want to look like an idiot to this guy I really respected. But it turned out being a whole lot different than I thought. It turned out that most of the concepts that he talked about were really simple things that I already knew and that I was already doing. What it confirmed for me is that this stuff actually works. If you stick with it and if you're consistent, it actually can really work over the course of a lifetime. So like I said before, he had been a high school teacher for most of his career and didn't get started investing until he was 35. Uh, so for me at the time, I was a little bit younger than that. So that was kind of encouraging. But but the bottom line is that he found a method and just stuck with it and stayed consistent. You know, it was very much like the tortoise and the hare. He just consistently invested over and over each month, kind of set it up on an automatic kind of plan. And that was one of the things that he did that just helped him financially over the course of his life. And so during the first part of our meeting, he just kind of spent that time explaining the importance of directing where your money should go rather than just like watching where it went. You know, so many of us don't really know where our money's going. And, you know, ultimately this comes down to the importance of having a budget where you are defining where your money is going rather than just looking at the end of the month at the credit card statement or whatever to see where it went. And that does give you some information, but it's a far better thing to be the boss of your money and direct it where to go. And that's where a budget comes in handy. And, you know, and I'm not going to turn this into a budgeting kind of podcast, but it really can be simple. It doesn't need to be nearly as complex as um, as it may have been if you've tried in the past and failed or just didn't like it. So that is definitely something that he more or less recommended. It's like you have to be telling your money where to go because if you're not doing that, then you're just being drugged by the circumstances of life to whatever direction. So one of the things that stuck out to me during our meeting was that he talked about two separate areas where he said most Americans will more or less destroy their financial future by how they spend money on these two particular areas. And so the first of them is eating out. And and essentially, his point was, is that far too many of us spend way too much money on food 
that we could be buying from the grocery store and making it home. And he talked about how that was one decision that he made with his wife early on that they were going to spend most of their money at the grocery store making food at home, which is healthier as well as cheaper than going out every night. And that was one of those decisions that he just decided to make early on and just stuck with it. And the other one was car purchases. And, you know, and I've, I've written about this. I've talked about this on the site a bit. But, but essentially, for most of us, how we spend money on our car like, can have a dramatic impact on our financial future. And I know for Linda and I, once we got our first car paid off and started saving that money instead of paying that interest to the bank each month and just started kind of building up a savings to buy our next car with cash, like that just started a snowball of momentum that has kind of catapulted us forward in our financial progress. And, and honestly, that was like the first big thing that changed, you know, because I had always heard just maybe like you as well, that you just have to have a car payment. That's just part of life. And if you want to have a decent car, you have to have a car payment and, you know, just accept that as a monthly payment you're going to have the rest of your life. That was kind of hard to break out of that mindset because that's what I believed because that's what I had heard and what, uh, you know, I had seen. And so, but breaking out of that mindset and choosing to buy used cars and choosing to pay them off and keep driving them instead of going to cash them in and get a new one, that has been something that for him, he said, was just absolutely incredibly huge. And I've noticed that in my own life as well. Uh, you know, over the last decade, like I took that advice and we've been doing that and we've been buying our cars with cash. And it's just it's just awesome that there's not an extra two or three or $400 a month going out every single month towards car payments. And so his approach was essentially that he bought used Japanese cars that were at least two years old, and then he would drive them for a decade before he would get a new one. And so a pretty simple formula, but the reason for Japanese cars, you know, especially at the time, they tend to be very reliable cars. The Japanese do a great job of creating a reliable cars. So Honda and Toyota are the two big ones that come to mind. You know, and since this point, we have owned two different Hondas, and both of them have been phenomenally reliable. You know, and I'm coming from previously, I'd only owned like Fords and Chevys, and in which, you know, they're different types of cars for different things, but as a whole, <laughs> Like my Hondas have far surpassed the Fords and Chevys in terms of reliability and just having to replace things on them. And all of that, you know, just contributes to the overall expense of owning that vehicle. And I'm not even talking about like big expenses, like the engine going out or the transmission. It's like a lot of little things on the vehicle, like that stuff just begins to add up. And not to mention, you know, when you have things going out, it just makes you feel a little bit more nervous about this car and you feel like you need to get a new one faster, you know? So I might not feel comfortable driving one of my Fords or Chevys for a decade, but, but honestly, we just sold our Honda Fit that we had for 10 years. And honestly, I would be comfortable driving that car for another five years, I would think at least because that car has been so reliable and it's proven itself to be a really good car, you know? And honestly, the only reason we got rid of it is because with our two car seats, it just doesn't fit anymore. But other than that, like I would just keep driving that car because it's just been so great. And I do remember as I was leaving this little meeting at his house, uh, when I walked out down his driveway, I looked at the car in his driveway and I kind of felt embarrassed because the car that I had was like a few years newer than his. <laughs> and I'm looking at this guy who is, you know, incredibly financially successful, whereas I'm just this young kid 
And it was just one of those moments where it's like, oh, great, this is it. You know, I'm, I'm learning. And I was reminded of there's a proverb that says there's a man who pretends to be rich, but actually doesn't have anything. And there's a man who pretends to be poor, but actually has a whole lot of wealth. That's just kind of what this was, where it's like, you don't need to have a shiny, flashy car in order to prove anything to anybody. And I think especially for those of us in the States, there's this big tendency to want to keep up with your neighbors and your friends and, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, this whole idea of feeling like we have to show the world how we've succeeded in a particular area because of a purchase that we have. Maybe it's a bigger house or maybe it's a car or whatever. And ultimately, like, that's just foolish. And, and I think we all know that intuitively, but I think it's really easy to kind of get caught up in that trap. So kind of summing up those two points, you know, ultimately what he said was eating at home, driving used cars for a long time were two small sacrifices that he was willing to make that made a huge impact on his financial success. And he went on to explain that most people are not willing to delay that kind of gratification and are not willing to make those small sacrifices. And and really, they are pretty small. You know, in a lot of cases, they're just temporary. So kind of after we chatted about that, he began talking a little bit about his investing strategy. And this was something I was interested in because I had just started investing a little bit. I think I had bought my first stock at that point. And I think that might have been the only thing I owned at that time. And it was just a stock in a utility company. But he had essentially focused on mutual funds. And that was like how he had grown his money. And he started in his mid-30s investing in mutual funds and just consistently added money to them each time. So he would read a lot of different mutual fund guides and just kind of see what the experts were recommending on some of the best mutual funds. And he would just kind of consistently contribute to those. One of his kind of regular routines was to go to the library. And he said that there's tons of great free resources at the library. So some of these financial newsletters that you might need to pay hundreds of dollars a year for, you can actually go to the library and read them for free. And so he would go there about once a week and just kind of read through all the different financial newsletters and investing magazines and to just get ideas. And he generally had like a Warren Buffett style approach with each one of these mutual funds where he wasn't just getting in and out and buying and selling over and over again. Like he, he bought them with the intention of holding them for decades unless he really had a strong reason that he had to get rid of them. Warren Buffett's kind of famous for saying that anytime he buys a stock, he buys it with the intention that he's never going to sell it. You know, and if he does have to sell it because something changes, then he does. But for a while, I kind of took that approach a little bit where I was kind of investing in mutual funds. And ultimately, after doing more and more research, I decided to kind of even simplify the process even more by investing in index funds. And if you're not familiar, index funds or ETFs more or less are just like mutual funds, except that they are an entire index of stocks rather than a hand-picked group, which is what most mutual funds are. And so the point is, with a mutual fund, you have a portfolio manager who is being paid for the stocks that he picks and his curation of sorts of how he picks stocks that he thinks are going to succeed. Whereas an index fund is every single stock in a particular index. So you know the Dow Jones, every single stock in that would be an index, or the S and P five hundred, every single stock in that would be an index. So the big benefit of an index fund is that your fees are so much lower, typically, because you're not paying a manager, you know, this portfolio manager to manage this portfolio. And that's not to say that there aren't good mutual funds out there, because there absolutely are, but 
there have been so many studies that have shown that just an index fund, which has far less fees, outperforms the vast majority of mutual funds. I mean, I've seen numbers as high as 90, 95% of mutual funds failing to do as well as the comparable index fund. So that has been kind of one adjustment that we've made to his approach that we've been really happy with. And Warren Buffett, again, is kind of famous for saying, you know, his general advice to most people who just want to start investing is to just buy an index fund of the S&P 500. Super simple advice. And that's kind of how Warren Buffett rolls. But I think he's right on there. It's a super simple approach to just start investing that is going to outperform the vast majority of investments out there. All right. So as we continued our meeting, we kind of transitioned into talking about debt. And at this point, I believe we had most of our debt paid off, but not quite all of it yet. And we were just kind of still working through that process. But, you know, he was strongly opposed to debt. And essentially what he did is once he had a big enough kind of uh, investment portfolio built up, they sold off a chunk of their investments in order to pay off their house. So they were completely debt free. And he said that was just great because that just eliminated that mortgage payment. And now they had more money to kind of add to their investments. So all in all, as I left this meeting, I was just really encouraged. And and like I said at the beginning, a lot of the stuff wasn't necessarily stuff that was new to me, but it was that he was like a proof of concept. He had proven that following this strategy works, that just being consistent with the little things over a long time works. And that was just really fun for me to see as somebody on the front end who is just kind of getting started and just trying to start doing some things consistently and just like hoping that this is actually going to work. You know, it's fun seeing somebody all the way on the other end who did it and got the results. Now, one thing I don't remember talking to him about that I I kind of wish I would have a little bit is just kind of talk to him about giving a little bit because I don't know... I didn't know him well enough to know where he was as a Christian and, and where he was on kind of his giving journey, but it would have been interesting to see how he handled that and how he worked that into the equation. You know, because in our case, and I'll probably do a, a whole separate podcast on this, but in our case, we kind of have a twofold approach where we are trying to maximize our giving now, but at the same time, we are still saving for, you know, we'll call it retirement, even though I never plan on retiring saving out in the future so that we have a big nest egg that we can give away on the kind of back end of our life. But I absolutely think that uh, we should be giving now, but I think there's a benefit and advantage to both sides of that. All right, well, that pretty much sums up everything that, you know, kind of came out of that meeting. And so if this helped you, I'd love to hear from you. So shoot me an email, send me a message over at Instagram, Twitter, wherever. And we're doing a lot more videos on YouTube right now. I'm kind of making a push where we're creating a lot of content over there. So if you are on YouTube ever, feel free to subscribe and just kind of check out some of the stuff we're doing over there. I'm really having fun with video right now, and I'm just excited about that outlet. And so you can definitely find us on YouTube as well. And so we'd love to say hi to you over there. And if this has inspired you at all to kind of get started investing, head over to seedtime.com forward slash tools and you can see all the different kind of investing tools that I am using for our investments right now. A lot of the stuff is I've just tried a bunch and these are my favorites and these are the best ones that I know of. So it might give you a head start on kind of your research and might be helpful for you. So anyway, I think that is all I have for you right now. Uh, Have a great rest of the day. Be blessed and we'll chat with you soon. Adios. Adios.